eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, and with us for the entirety of the podcast today is the host of the John Kime Report, ESPN.com's one and only John Kime. John, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for having me on, and, and thank you for making me look really well-dressed today. <laughs> You're welcome. If there is something we have down on this pod, it's setting our guests up for success. Well, the sad, you know, the sad thing is, even when I go on my podcast on YouTube, and I'll point out that I haven't shaved, the problem is I have to point it out because I don't know if people can tell. So, and I haven't shaved in a few days, but I don't think people can even tell. That's that's not good. Yeah. Well, I I get a little strap going. Logan is just a bearded a bearded behemoth of a man. And so there's no use in trying to match this. I mean, what? And so you got the this shirt. This is just lazy. This is just laziness, honestly. Well, this is just like it's easier to buzz it than like straight razor it. So that's what I do. Well, I'm being lazy. It's just that nobody can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a perk at the end of the day. Yeah, seriously. I probably is, but and then at some point when it does come in, it looks bad. So you have to shave it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's that. Uh, all right. Here's what we got on the the show today besides beard talk uh we have a little bit of conversation about the ongoing story surrounding the commanders which are you know the story which is dan snyder and the subpoena that he is negotiating service of via his attorney with the house oversight committee how does that affect the team and potentially the locker room and will it hang over them as a distraction as by the way the target date 10 days from now uh, the 28th is when training camp opens. So we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. We'll also get into a little bit more quarterback breakdown. We've certainly done a fair amount of it on the show, but John and Logan both watched uh, separate. No, no prior planning. Just happened to work out. They both watched a ton of quarterback tape this weekend. So we'll get into Carson Wentz and uh, some strengths and weaknesses, opportunities for growth, things that need to be managed this year by the staff. So we'll get into that as well. But let's do start with uh, – with the, the subpoena and I will 
be transparent with the audience. We're recording this Monday morning. It's about 8.40 a.m. And I only say that because there is a chance that by the time this podcast goes out, there is a statement that has come from the House Oversight Committee. Now, I've said that for three consecutive podcasts and about five consecutive radio shows, but we are still waiting on that as of right now for what the latest in those negotiations is. And John, I'll just start asking you this as someone who obviously I used to be on the beat. You're still on it. I'm now doing the daily talk show. I'm trying to manage some of the football talk and some of the you know, what it means for the team. How are you managing covering this, you know, knowing that you are now covering a, what is a, a legal, you know, judicial congressional hearing and negotiations when you're used to covering football and, and still do want to cover and uh, have a responsibility to cover the football? Well, this answer might take all the 45 minutes, Craig, because it's, it's quite a lot. And what well, that may have- yeah, I mean, you can just yeah, sit back so. now and, and I'll just take over. But the short answer <laughs> is you, you, never, you can never really relax because something happens every week. With has happened almost every week with this. And so your life, listen, I love my job. I wouldn't still be doing it at this point if I didn't love it. So I don't want to sit here and complain about things. But it's, there is a – because this job, as you know, even if it's just a football standpoint, has constant interruptions. A trade for Donovan McNabb on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, guy gets cut, you know, on Christmas Eve, although it was DJ Swearinger and it was kind of a crazy situation. But those are football issues. So they happen on every beat. Tom Brady gets signed at a bizarre – you know, at a time where it's like, oh, my gosh, you've got to stop your life and go on him. But this one has been challenging because it is every week. And – and it's something that um, is always involved. There's always, like, for example, I had the day that the Congress sent the first letter, to, the letter to the FTC, 25-page letter. I get that around 9 or 9.30 in the morning, something like that. And 10 minutes later, we find out that my wife's aunt, who we're very close to, is basically dying. And she's, you know, they, her cousins had called to ask her to come to be at her side as in this final process. I have to put that aside because I've got to go through 25 pages of a letter. So, like, you can't even, so it's not even because, like, if they had just signed somebody, I could pass it off to the news and say, hey, I've got to go do this. But this was so involved that you have to put certain things aside for the time being now. I don't know that I could have gone with her anyway. My wife did go down there, but you couldn't even really start to grieve properly until after this was done. And it was a constant battle. And I don't bring that up for sympathy or anything like that, but just say the the interruption in your life, and it's a complicated interruption. Then a couple weeks later on Easter Sunday, you get a 105-page letter from the team that they're sending to the FTC. So it's like 2.30 in the afternoon, and we're having Easter dinner, and I look at my wife and said, I'm out. I'm done. You know, I've, I've got to go take care of this. And so, like, it's it's and it's all it's always been a big, big thing, right? Um, I go to we had a trip to Spain that we set up in I think it was January or so. We booked this trip. My son was going over there to perform in some a couple of cities with his dance company um, before he goes off to college. It's a great experience. I told my wife at that time, I said, "You watch. They're going to have the hearing when I'm gone." <laughs> Now, I have a partner in this. Tisha Thompson does a great job and helps me out a lot. And she was like, 
you got to go and just be on vacation. Don't worry about this. I've got it. But I'm following it a little bit from over in Spain. And you start to feel guilty because you're not there. And then I see what she has to deal with because more things get sent out. More documents get sent out. And she and one of my editors were up all night going over these documents to prepare a story. So it's, it's not just a, hey, this, they sent a letter. It's a, what's in that letter? What's news? Then you've got to call people over here. Then you've got to call people over here. Um, the one thing I will say, Craig, as a reporter, there's a challenge in this that I don't mind. Like, I don't, the topic, whatever it is and all that, but you, you're having to navigate a new world. Can you do that as a reporter? Mm. Can you get to know these people and develop relationships that you need to get information? And so, you know, but I, and I even, I told someone recently that at, during one stretch, I talked to more politicians than I did football analysts. That's not even a joke. That's true. And, you know, whether it's a stadium stuff or talking to former members of the committee or talking to attorneys, talking to people who used to work in the FTC, this is that's been the off season for a beat reporter. And so it's been exhausting. So how do you balance it? I don't know that you really do. And I think we all would like to get back to just writing about football. And it's why I always tell people when they talk about, well, you guys love this. Nobody loves this drama. This drama means extra hours, extra extra aggravation, you know, stress. Now, it also does, as a reporter, get you the chance to maybe, again, do some things to show your value to a company, right? And so there is, I'm not going to um, sugarcoat that part too, but at the end, it is a, it's a weekly, weekly um, interruption. And it's not just those two hours or whatever that you're writing story. There's work that goes on either side of it too that goes into it. That, that, you know, so that's a long answer. And I'm glad you had 45 minutes to talk to me because otherwise we'd be halfway done with my time. <laughs> um, were you nervous that while you were in Spain, they'd be like, oh, you're in Europe. Go find Dan. No, no. The ESPN is great. Um, they were very clear. I mean, there were jokes, but they were very clear. Like, we don't even want you checking in. My partner, I would text her. She's like, get back that's on cool. vacation. So, no, ESPN is great with that, and um, I appreciate that. There's a, you know, but I wasn't even tempted to go do that, to be honest, you know. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, you want to be on vacation, you want to put it aside, and it's, I will say, like, I spent the plane ride coming home. This is where this actually helped me, because it's like an eight-and-a-half-hour flight, and my wife and I could not get seats together, so... Was we booked through some miles and stuff, so we couldn't get seats together. She abandoned me the minute she saw she could upgrade, so to, she get she could get like a comedy bus. She, she checked with the thing. She's like, "Hey, can we, you know, at the ticket age, hey, can we get seats together?" Blah blah. It's like doesn't look like. Oh, okay, I'm up here. So, so I was back there, and that's okay. But what it, but what happened was I was texting and emailing with people about this story on the way back. That ate up at least half the trip. So it made it seem like the trip wasn't quite as long as it really was because I'm texting and emailing various people because I, you know, I, I did a little bit when I was on vacation. There was one time I talked to a staffer and they called me up and like, are you still in Spain? I said, yes. Well, then she, and then they're like, well, bye. I said, no, 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 no. I want to actually know this. So, may, you know, because I'm a reporter, it's like, you have curiosity. I mean, I was just at dinner. It was, you know, right. and it was just at a hotel. It wasn't a huge deal that I was taking, that they were taking me away from. 
And I was like, well, can I at least ask you about this? And so I got a little nugget of information I could pass along, but it was, um, you know, but by and large, I was able to stay away from it, you know, for the most part. Yes. So, John, you're, you're one of the most well-connected guys that I know, and I come to you for information. How was it kind of getting into this political space? Like, how do you even start that process of building these relationships? Do you go by referral, or do you just kind of say, hey, I'm John Kime, I do sports talk, but I'm talking to you now. Like, what's the process for that? Well, I will say, Logan, there are, this is where there are some people in these areas that are sports fans. And so maybe yeah. they've heard me on the radio. And so I think it at least opens a door with some mm. people, not all, but some, because maybe they were um, Redskins fans back in the day or whatever. And so, you know, and so I think that can help. And then you just have to put in some work, whether you go down and visit on Capitol Hill, um, you stay oh. in touch. Um, things like that. So during the bye week last year, that's one of the things I did is went down there um, with Tish and we just met with people and you start to develop relationships. So that's, at the end, it's the same thing. Well, there's a couple things. One, it's the same thing you do on the NFL side. I mean, right, it's just the whole business of being a reporter is about establishing relationships. And can they trust you? Can they get to the point where they can trust you? So some of that, it takes a period of time where they can tell you something and then see how you react with that information. Are they are if they say, "Hey, don't do anything with this," but um, because it may it may not be something you can report, but it's something you should know. And are, if you keep it quiet, like they can give you a little bit more, a little bit more. So you establish things that way. And the other thing is too, in these situations, you know that both sides have things they want to get out. So that that makes mm -hmm. it a little bit easier. Um, but you have to, it's just a matter of establishing relationships and making them know that, letting them know that, hey, yes, we're a sports network, but we're pretty deep into this story. Yeah. Um, those four letters you have don't hurt either. And I will say that the four letters no. that I've had over the years, that w, WJFK, like that has mattered for me. ESPN matters for you, obviously, of now course. with, with 980 uh, full-time. But like that, that matters a lot too when you have that legitimacy and especially being in the D.C. market um, where they probably have listened to you on the radio or they're obviously familiar with ESPN. Like they'll return your email. They, they, they <laughs> yeah, know, no, no, they know no. where There's, their bread is buttered. Yeah, and I mean, listen, ESPN has a... A vast reach. People like being, mm. you know, being able to get something out to an, an, uh, an entity that has the kind of reach that we do. So that always helps. I mean, I don't ever, you know, I know that yeah. if I went from John Kime ESPN to John Kime, you know, you know, Slabanka News, <laughs> there people are going to react differently. And no offense to the Slabanka News reporters. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're wonderful people, and they do a great job. But yeah, I'm aware of that. I'm well, I'm well aware of. I mean, my last name has four letters, but it's the ESPN after that that matters more. <laughs> The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Of course, you can also check out John's podcast where he's just, you know, John Kime from, from John Kime Report. Yeah. Uh, and that also very, very uh, authentic, great place with lots of uh, gravitas to get your, your information. Um, Logan, I'm curious from your perspective as a former player, like, do you think that this can affect the team at all, right? We're, we're 10 days away from training camp. We're now going to have simultaneous, like, A-level stories on that day if ultimately there is some kind of agreement between voluntary and subpoena, whatever it winds up being, if Dan testifies on that day. Now, it's important to point out, this won't be an open hearing like it was with Goodell. Right. This will be a closed-door deposition, but there will inevitably be some reporting that comes out that day, and it will be happening while the players take the field for the first time. So it would stand to reason that John and the rest of the folks on the beat will be asking them about this on some level and in, in some form or fashion. So I'm curious, you know, if you're a, a, a player in that locker room and this story has the potential to hang over your season, do you think that can actually infiltrate the locker room at all and have an effect on the team? Or is it too far above the locker room? Is ownership too far separated? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, like the closest experience I had to this when I was playing was the team name and how like uh, Dan, at least when I was on the team, really wanted to make sure that the name stayed the same and did not change. And so we actually had team meetings on that. And so like that's team meeting time that could be allocated to day one install that you're spending talking about how you want to refer to the team name and how you want to refer to statistics that they've, you know, that they've mined to kind of support their position. And then that meeting came up. I I don't want to say it was infrequent, but it was once every two, three months, you have kind of a refresher on some of the statistics and things like that. So again, like even, and again, the reporters, you said like, it's grade A story. They want quotes, they want information. And so they'll start asking players about it and players don't know that much about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably a couple guys who are pretty dialed in, but they don't know, mu- know that much about it. So the team has to make sure that they know they have something to say about it and they have to spend time kind of insulating themselves. So, you know, it's not going to like fracture the locker room. It's not going to affect guys day to day, but it is going to affect how the team installs their offense, how they allocate meeting time, how the guys are prepping for their for their media pressers and things like that. So while it's not going to like shake the, the foundations of the team, it is a distraction in some sense that, that makes it tough, you know, especially when you're trying to make the team or when you're trying to, you know, get ready for the 2022 season. That is something you just don't want to deal with. I remember as a player, I found it super annoying that you had to deal with that. But, you know, the media has a job. I have a job. I want to get information about this. I need a quote from somebody. And that can be really challenging. And John can probably speak to that as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny because with the name change, I think it's probably much more, much different than it is in this situation. The name change was a constant conversation. Now, I remember the one camp I was tasked with talking to as many players as I could about should they change the name or not. And, and it was all, it was completely, I may have even asked you, but it was completely off the record. There was going to be no names attached to this. I think I talked to 50 or so guys. One player would say, yes, they should change it. A lot, I think there was like 19 that said, you know, I have no thoughts on it. And 
but it did get back, you know, it was just a private um, survey. It, someone from the team did come and ask me, why are you asking about this? Like, because it's a topic. And so you have to, but, you know, and it may only be, it may only be like one or two questions, but somebody does go to the PR staff and say, hey, they're asking me about this. And then maybe guys are talking about it over here because, like, should they change the name? And maybe that's more of an attraction. I think in this case, I wonder, Logan, and you, you've been in that, you know, we've both been in a locker room from different perspectives. And so I don't think, like, we're not going to be asking some, a lot of these guys what their thoughts on this hearing are because, like, Jahan Dodson, you know, if somebody asks him, it's like, what are you doing? Like, he's not going to have any yeah. thoughts on this. Like, and his thoughts on it don't even matter. Now, if you ask them, is this a distraction, that's the topic, right? And so I some see. people will come through and ask some of the guys like a John Allen or a Terry McLaurin or someone like that, like, is this a distraction? That's the question, not what should they do or should you change, oh, should yeah. Dan sell, Dan Snyder sell the team? It's not going to be about that. It will be, and then how do you keep it from being a distraction? And that has already come up at times. And one of the things that Ron Rivera, I think, has been good at is saying, knowing what's, he always likes that phrase, what's interesting versus what's important. And so he'll put that in the interesting category, but because it did come up already. I think Terry McLaurin talked about this at his, his signing presser. And, but what's important for them is to stay focused on the field. So there have been conversations about it, and I guarantee there will be conversations that day about it. And there, I'm sure, like Logan said, there will be conversations about, hey, if the media asks you this, this is all you need to say. And really all they need to say is, like, that's above my pay grade. I'm just here to play football. And that's the end of the story. Because beyond that, like, as a media person, like, again, what are they going to add to the overall story except for the topic being, is this a distraction? And how do you keep it from being a distraction? And I think, I think as it goes on, maybe for that particular day, it becomes something I don't know because it's not a daily thing that I don't know that it's going to be a big, big issue for them for that reason. And, and I don't think from a media perspective, I'm not going to be asking guys every day about that, you know, unless it's like a team leader. And then, like, do you talk to guys about this? And even then, from my perspective, unless somebody says something like if somebody says something crazy about it, like, Somebody should sell that he should sell the team or whatever. Then it becomes a bigger deal, right? So I, I guess I hear you, and and I think you're right in terms of the day to day. You're not going to ask, but let's say there is something that comes out in the reporting in right. oh, this course. deposition in whatever. Right? At, at what is the threshold to ask players more directly about this? Because I do think like there's no doubt, and I've said this all along. Like a guy like Terry McLaurin has thoughts. He's smart enough not to say them because now his check is very, very large and he's not going to ruin that. Um, and I don't blame him for that, but there's no doubt he has thoughts on the substance of, of what is, is going on here. And again, like this is all still allegations technically because Dan has denied them, et cetera, et cetera. But a, as this continues to get reported on, is there a threshold where a John Allen, a Terry McLaurin, uh, whoever, a Carson Wentz gets asked more directly and you know, maybe has the chance where if they feel like something really wrong has happened and, and they feel like to speak up, that that could be the kind of thing that moves the needle in a way that has basically never happened, where players are all of a sudden starting to say, like, hey, ownership, this, that, or the other thing. Like, is there a threshold where you at least ask that question? I mean, I, I suppose, but all this, like, this stuff all happened before these players were here. It's not an ongoing thing, and not, not diminishing it, 
But from their perspective, like Carson Wentz is like, this happened, what, how many years ago? I wasn't even in the league yet when some of this stuff was, was alleged to have happened. So, you know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but from my perspective with them, it's like, unless if they come out and say, again, if they came out and said, he should sell the team because that, that was just horrible. That's a big story, but you know, if it comes out that they did X, Y, or Z, I mean, I just I don't I don't know that any of those players are ever going to say anything that's going to move the needle. Short of he should sell the team, I, it, it may come up. I'm sure it'll come up because it becomes news. But if they'll be told like you don't need to say anything, just above my pay grade, and and that's. That's how I would view it, too, because from my perspective as a reporter, what matters is what's in that deposition, not as much what Carson Wentz or John Allen says, because are they going to add to the story? And chances are no. But in John Allen, that we came up, we asked him about the Jack Del Real stuff, and we already know what, what, you know what he said there, and I think that has a more direct impact on them than this stuff does. If there were still things they saw going on, if this was things that were going on now, that's a much bigger deal because they're in the building now with people that maybe they know who are under you know who are being affected by these issues much more directly. So I don't I don't know, Craig. I mean, uh, listen, if they come out and say something, yeah, it's a big deal. If if they, right. but I just right. I don't I don't know that I see that happening. But you know, and again, as a reporter, you ask questions. They they, but my guess is you'll be hard-pressed to get many guys, and most of those guys, like if J.D. McKissick comes up to the mic, I mean, J.D. McKissick is a good quote, he's a good player, but is that really, you know, is he, one, is he going to say something, and two, does it move the needle for me? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think when I was in San Francisco, obviously they were talking about like a lot about social justice, and one of the things that I found, you know, I did not have a big social media presence, but even like just going out to eat, People would ask me like how like how morally I felt about like mm-hmm. playing in the NFL for this kind of um, you know th- th- this organization or this structure that was very kind of one sided, and I could and I was just get it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it if something like that happened and then like the community kind of swelled around the players and the social media thing kind of pushed them. Do you think that I, I mean I could see that easily leading into some that's, comments and from that's, players. Right. And I think that's a question, too, that if somebody's doing, doing a deeper dive story on it, where it's like, right. how do you, you know, like you have X, you know, these people in your life, how do you, what do you tell them about if certain things come out about the owner and a lot of things have already come out about the owner, how do you justify doing this? And then, you know, so I think that there are times where some people can do a deeper dive on it where you do get more honest thoughts about it. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I think, but just from, I'm just talking about from a day-to-day in a press conference setting, that to me is a little bit different where you're doing a deeper dive into it and you're playing for an organization where the owner did this and this. What do you tell people if they bring it up? I mean, there may be some people in their own lives. and, And I would always stress here too, and you know, both of you know this, it wasn't just women going through stuff here. It was Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and you know, this was yeah. a, not always gender specific. Some of the issues were gender specific, but it wasn't just a right. female issue. And and again, I do not making light of anything, but the stuff that you hear over the years. So, 
Um, so yeah, Logan, I think to that point, I think you could see some of that. But but I think that's a great point in terms of distinction. Like it might not affect that that story is a deeper dive story. It might not affect the day to day. You know, you kind of have your one thing like, hey, this is above my pay grade. You get your, um, you know, Zach comes out right. and tells the team that, and then you're on to the next. So it might not be this kind of resonating, consistent issue in the same way that the name thing was, where you're getting protests right. in front of certain stadiums about it, right? And so again, like I think yeah, that Minnesota. that's a really yeah. good, good, yeah. good distinction for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's going to be more of that. There's going to be protests. There's going to be all kinds of things. Like it's going to be an interesting season in that regard. The longer this goes on, um, which also makes you, I, I mean, when I say question, like I'm not a lawyer. I'm not pretending that I I should be advising Dan in any way. But like it is interesting that they have chosen, and I understand why too. If they are trying to run out the clock, which many experts and analysts think that they are, that that is the strategy here. But the fact that that is by nature extending this story as opposed to trying to quickly wrap it as, as quickly as possible, you do wonder uh, how that kind of continues to linger and affect the football team and, uh, and the questions that will be asked and, and what could go on around it in terms of protests or anything else. And I don't know that we're going to have – there haven't been really any protests thus far. I mean, I don't know that you're going to have that. Um, it just – it hasn't happened. I know – there was supposed to be a protest one time. It really wasn't a protest. It was, it was, and again, I'm not diminishing anything here when I say this, but it wasn't like a hundred people out there picketing everything. It was a couple of women involved did meet with the media and express their frustration, their take on what was going on or what was not happening. But you haven't had, it's not even remotely close to the name thing because that, you know, riled up, Native American groups in various cities and other people. So, you know, I don't know that you're going to have that, um, you know, but I do think, um, I mean, it's, it's, it'll, it'll still be a topic. And the other funny thing, Craig, along with that, you talk about running out the clock. If this goes in a way where Snyder's attorneys take it to court to challenge the subpoena, there's a good chance that con- you know, the congressional, the Republicans win the House. They're getting power in January. The investigation is basically over, but it'll still be alive in the courts. So, and that could go on because in the courts, it could be tied up for several months. It could be tied up for up to a year. So that, that's one where you have to weigh, like, what's, what's the worst outcome for you in terms of publicity? Because if it's still alive in the courts for a year, that's a, that's a long time. And, and I don't know all the ins and outs of what it would, like, why it would take that long, or is it just, is it, you know, how many days in court is it actually, you know, um, being discussed? So that's where the story will still be alive. Like, I don't know that this story is going to go away anytime soon. And I know, like, from, I think from, Logan, you can speak this too, I think from a player's perspective, this is one of the things I always wonder about, because you want to have pride in where you work. And if... If you feel good about where you work, let's say the locker room is a good place. Like, you know, they've created a situation where on the football side it's going really well um, and they feel good about the people they're with and all that. But out in public, you get asked about this a lot. Does that, what's the impact on you mentally as a player if this is a lot of what you hear out, and out beyond the walls of Ashburn? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is tough. And I think like, I was always a guy, and I can only speak to my own experience, but I was always a guy who was very, very dialed in. I try not to read or or do anything, but then you do go out. You go out to 
breakfast with your family and someone comes up to you on the street and says, you know, how do you feel about X, Y, Z? And when those things are negative, you're just like, man, like I don't, I want to be talking about the things we're doing on the football field. I want to be talking about the positive things that we're doing in terms of building a team, building a culture. But no, we're talking about whatever this other thing is. And that didn't just happen here in Washington. That happened in other places I went. There were poor cultures all around the NFL. But it is, it, it is mentally exhausting to deal with that. And even if you're not talking to people, just like I mentioned the moral thing. It's like, how do I feel about an owner that says X? Or how do I feel about an owner that acts this way towards players or whatever they're doing and you're just and again like I was making a lot of money so you're able to kind of like put the blinders on and focus on your work but that is something internally that you go through and so you know the more stuff that comes out about this it's just kind of like it's just a weight that that is around the team that kind of makes the uh the environment the ambiance not necessarily what you want to be doing every single day but again you're a football player first you're able to kind of focus on that because that's the main objective. But yeah, to say that it was it doesn't affect you at all, I think is uh, it would be inaccurate. And and I also wonder too, like first of all, the NFL has such a long off season that it becomes easier to focus hard, much more on this because there's more time to focus on it, and there's nothing to really change the narrative as far as being on the field. When the games begin, if this team gets off to a three and zero start how many people are going to really be asking players about that versus, you know, hey, you're 3-0 and and Carson Wentz looks really good and, oh, my God, and Chase Young is coming back and, you know, oh, man, Dallas is coming. So I wonder how much that can change the narrative. Now, of course, the converse is true. If it's a slow start, then it's going to become really toxic. Um, but mm. if you get off to a fast start, can that change the narrative? Is that enough to do that? Um, and that's, that's the other thing I wonder with all this, cause the NFL is such a long off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure my boss will be thrilled to hear me say this now that he's given me a daily radio show. But the, what I like about this format is if there's 45 minutes of content, great. If there's not, then we don't have to go 45 minutes. If there's an hour and a half on a given day, we can go that. I got three hours between three and six I got to fill every single day. And if that means I can talk about winning football for three hours, then that's it. That's my show. If I have crappy football that only takes 20 minutes and then I still have two hours and 40 minutes to go, like I got to fill that time. And, and, you know, that is kind of the the situation that you're talking about is – there's a void that has to be filled for whether it's a show like mine, whether it's something like, you know, first take catches the flack about this stuff all the time on ESPN, uh, sports center, whatever it may be. Like you got to fill the time somehow. And, and when there's not, uh, I would say good stuff to talk about. Well, you fill the void with speculation and that kind of thing. And that often leads down to, to negative or more toxic places. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, John Kime from ESPN.com is with us. You guys both independently wound up watching the quarterbacks this weekend. Logan, it sounded like you guys are going to do something on uh, the TV show about Carson and Dak and uh, all the quarterbacks in the division. Uh, John, uh, you were just working on trying to kind of build a base of information on, on Carson yeah. Wentz uh, to go into the season. So what's, what, what, as you guys went through this round of tape, I'm, I know you guys have both watched him extensively before. Like, Logan, I'll start with you. Like, what, what are some of the, the big strength weaknesses that you noticed maybe this time around? Or, or what was your prevailing thought as you left that, that tape session? Well, it was really interesting because I had to rank them. So you kind of go in and you say, well, obviously the, the first thought is to go with Dak, right? And it's so interesting doing this coming off of kind of a recent draft evaluation of quarterbacks. And I went through and I watched them, and there was a mesmerizing element to Carson Wentz's play. That if they were all rookies, like if all four guys were rookies, he would be the first pick in the draft. Like, and that's why he was. Because he did stuff physically like, just that, was on, that no one else in this division can do. Right? But the thing that I kept going back to, if I had to give them a ranking, if I had to put them in position, I would go with Dak. Because he's just been more consistent from an, a mental, emotional standpoint. And now, like, all those physical things get you so excited. There's a high level of variance. You know, he kind of plays a little bit of hero ball. I'm talking about Carson now. But again, like the arm strength, the ability to manip- manipulate defenses with his eyes, the ability to run, out, run and kind of create on his own. You're just like, this is the guy that's going to change an organization. And that's just looking at the season in isolation. But then when you look at him, his time in Philly, you look at how it kind of melted down in Indianapolis. Like those are factors that go into kind of that ranking. And I think to myself, like, while he's very talented, like the thing that has killed his career so far is the high level of variance and the negative variance that you get out of some of that stuff. Because certain players have a high level of variance. Like say what you want about Patrick Mahomes. There's a high level of variance in his play. But he's able to kind of consistently manage his emotions and his emotional integrity and lead to good production. I think that was the thing that came out of it. Like, just how good he was watching throw for throw with those other guys in the division and just saying, wow, there's so much talent here. And why can't I put him number one? And that was the thing I fell back on was just, I can't go, I can't put him number one because of the, the kind of the, the lows are so low with him. John, is that what you saw as well? Well, I wasn't ranking all the quarterbacks, so I just wanted to get a feel for what he did in Indianapolis last year. And a couple things stood out. One, the receiving talent in Indianapolis I didn't think was very high. And there were a lot of times, too, where um, I felt like, you know, and I would stop and you watch it all 22 and like, okay, where's the point where the pressure's on him and what are the receivers doing? Does he have a chance? Because I know the knock on him is he holds the ball too long, and there's definitely times where that's the case. And then you stop the play and you'd see – Nobody's in position to make a catch right now. You know, and there were a few times where I definitely saw where he'd get out of the pocket where I felt like he was looking to create something where he didn't have to. And I think there was a play against Tennessee where he's got Zach Pascal, I think, breaking over the middle in the red zone. And you can see him looking looking right at him like, why are you not throwing the ball? 
and he rolls to the right and he creates a situation. I think he even gains eight or nine yards, but you could have had 14 with this throw. There was somebody kind of in that throwing lane, but then you watch from the end zone sometimes and you see maybe there's a hand in a guy's face that you can't tell from a sideline view. But the other things that stood out and going to the arm strength, and this is, to me, these are little subtle things that the arm strength does. There was a play against the Rams, and Logan, you may remember this, where Aaron Donald, it's a third and 14. Aaron Donald is about to hit him, and I think it's either Pascal or Pittman, probably Pittman because he loved throwing to him. Yeah. When he throws this, like, he, he's in like a, he's got the sideline to run to. He's got two defenders with him, but he's in, he's got position on them, just throws it toward the sideline. It's a 42-yard gain. Yeah. Under duress. And he's kind of backing up. That's he's all kind of backing up. You're not seeing that. Anybody else here? Then another one. This is the subtleties of it, where there was one time where he does a play action, and if I could stand up and show you my feet, I would, and how he did it. But his feet were set for the play action, but because of the plays right on him, he doesn't have to turn his feet and get turned around to make the throw on a little quick hitch. So he just, he fake, boom. Get your hips around, boom. Because of that, because he gets because he gets rid of the ball so fast there, because it's a strong arm, the defensive back is two yards off the off the receiver, which then allows him to make him miss and get eight more yards after the catch. That to me is a subtle thing that an arm strength does. It creates better situations for you as a receiver. Now the other side, and so like you saw that, and I saw like Logan, you we talked about his ability to manipulate with the eyes and all that. You could see that too. You could see him trying to work the middle, the middle safety with his eyes and how that impacted a throw over here. So you definitely saw the arm strength so many times with that. The the things that and then you'd see sometimes where, you know, keeping the play alive in the pocket and because you're tall, being able to see over the middle and going stepping up in the pocket and dumping it over. Then there are other times where he plays hero ball, but it's also the consistency of the accuracy. And, like, you'd see a guy, like, he's got, I'm like, why did this not play not lead to more yak? And, and it's because he was off on his throw. So the wide catch radius has been a big phrase this offseason for a reason. And I think they have a lot of guys who can help him with that. But it, it sometimes pre- prevented them from getting some more yards after the catch. On a, and, and not just on a first and ten, but on a third and six, if this throws a little bit better, now you got a first down because there's more yak or may, you know what I mean? Like, or, if, you know, so yeah. I think there are some things with that that I would see that's the inconsistency, but the arm strength is going to help. And I do think that this receiving core, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to help him. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing about watching all the quarterbacks together, and to John's point, I think this is great, um, is you watch Dallas, for example, and the receiving core there is outstanding. Like, he can count on his guys to win in one-on-one situations. Like, he, his, his, his process was so – Dak's process now was so unique. He'd be working the right side of the field, shift his feet, and his eyes would even be a little late, and he'd just throw the ball on timing, and the, he knew the receiver was going to win. And when you watch Indianapolis, for example – that's not there. The other thing that really stood out watching Dallas compared to Indianapolis was was the protection in Dallas was outstanding. That's probably the best pass protecting group in the division last year. And then Ezekiel Elliott is probably the best pass protecting back. And he would have these 
immaculate pockets, just perfect pockets. He had time to work his eyes, had time to work his, uh, and he, and it's not like he's, he's working like, like the dark arts, like the Drew Brees ducking under stuff and really working his feet. He's got a perfect pocket. No one's around him. And when you watch Carson throw for throw again, he's negotiating a lot of bad rushes in terms of in yeah. his lab, yeah. there's guys on his, you know, he's, he's stepping wide. And so, in terms of making more with less last year, I think Carson deserves a lot of credit. Now there is again, there's a lot of variance to his game, but the thing that gets you about Dak, it just just to give the the listeners a point of comparison, right? Because you hear Dak Prescott and you say that's the guy. When Dak had rough pockets, when Dak's guys couldn't create separation, he immediately looked very average. So who's making more there? Just kind of again, you're writing a lot of variance with Carson, but I think Carson made more. With less now, they did a good job of insulating him on a down-to-down basis from a play-calling standpoint. And when you look at Moore and what he's doing in Dallas, he's very innovative in terms of creating open throws. And just in terms of situation, like can Scott Turner bring some of that here for him? Because it elevates what Carson does, I, th- I think, and it elevates what everybody does by creating these open win- open throwing windows and easier reads for a guy like Carson, a guy who needs to get the ball out of his hand a little bit quicker because he doesn't do well when when the protection breaks down. Well, and that was going to be my next question, is what can Scott Turner do to ultimately help Carson out? Because we know that that is going to be essential to success. We talked about this extensively with Warren Sharp in our reaction to that last week, is how do they create situations, play calls, whatever it may be, to help Carson out and how aware are they of these weaknesses? Surely they've watched the tape. They've got to know. So how do they game plan around that to, to maximize his success? Um, in my opinion, it's, it's something um, that I think Scott's going to run what Scott runs. And I think he's brought more to OTAs this time because of what Carson brings from an arm talent standpoint. But I, you know, I just when I draw comparisons to Sean, when I draw comparisons to Kyle, when I draw comparisons even to Lafleur or McDaniel's, like in those conversations I've had with them during the time when I played for those guys, there's a next level thinking uh, or understanding, and I just I think Scott's a very bright dude. I just haven't seen that next iteration yet, where you're you're scheming guys open, you you you're, you're dissecting coverage on a Tuesday for the game on Sunday to put those guys in the best position to be successful. And I think Scott's capable of that. I think we saw flashes of that in terms of deeper passing concepts that do that. But the really good ones, in my opinion, can do that at every level of the defense. And I think he's got to, sh- got to stress himself a little bit to make that, make that happen. Because quite frankly, like I, I think uh, Norwell and Turner are great additions to the offensive line from a run game standpoint. But I have my questions about their ability to hold up in pass protection. And when you look at Indianapolis, when Quentin Nelson's out, when they're on their second, guard, second right guard, um, that's where the pressure was coming, and that seemed to fluster him, Carson, quite a bit. So you're going to have to contend with that variable as well, which is something that's really important uh, in his development, I think. To that point, too, I would make sure he's got answers, right? So if, there's, yeah. if, you, if you're facing that pressure right away, give him some answers underneath that with a really good target. And – and that sounds simplistic, but I think it's when I would watch him in Indy, there were too many times I'm like, again, there's nothing available for him. So I'm sure like people are probably watching the game. You get half the screen, as we know on TV, and all three of us hate that, which is why we all three watch it all 22 so much, because it gives you a clear picture. And I'm sure there are fans thinking, get rid of the ball. And then you go look at the game and you say, where? 
give him that answer underneath. Give him, you know, the, and they do have guys who are capable of being very good in that role, whether it's a shallow cross. And this is what I'm anxious to see is how you use all that speed and, and creating advantages, whether it's vertical and a couple shallow crossers, whatever. You have a lot of it. And so how do they use that to help him? And I think some of those, I know they want to attack down the field. They absolutely want to do that early and create that mindset for defensive players that you've got to watch for this, which in turn should open up underneath those the underneath quick game that they love. So, you know, I think that's one thing you do. And, and I want to go back to one other point with the talent around him because I just thought of this, and I was thinking of a play that um, <clears throat> there was a slant. I think it was like a third. I don't remember where it was, like third and let's say it was like third and seven. And he throws a slant pass to Paris Campbell. And he's a Buckeye, so I got to watch him in college. And I'm like, why didn't this play work? Because, like, you look at, should he gone somewhere else? No, this is a quick hit play. It should work. Well, then you watch how Paris Campbell tries to come off the line, and you say, that's the problem. Like, the stutter step at the line was like, I remember thinking the defensive back had no reaction to it. You didn't get a crate with the stem. There was nothing to, it was a press coverage, and there was nothing done to, Get that defensive back off his spot at all. And I think they have more guys here who can help do that that are complementary to Terry McLaurin. And I think that's one of the things that you can benefit from. That's a subtle thing. Again, he doesn't pick up the first down by about a half a yard. But that half a yard was everything that he came off the line with. And if I could, Logan, I I might send a clip of you that play just to show what I'm talking about. It was and, and maybe I'm wrong, and again, he's a Buckeye, but I never thought he was a great route runner as a Buckeye. I thought he was a great playmaker as a Buckeye. Right. You know, and so I think that's what he is in the NFL, And but that's where it can help him having better talent around him. But again, I go back to have clear answers for him, because Logan's right that there are definitely times where you saw pockets starting to break down, like, you're 6'5", stay in there half more, can you? Yeah. I'm saying this as a five nine and a half guy who did not play quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> so I don't want to like. But I, I this is what I would ask him, and I would ask Scott Turner: Could he have stayed in here another half second and delivered the ball? But again, because never having done that, so that's a question I would ask: Could he have done that? And now you got that half second more results in a 15-yard play down here rather than breaking it out, maybe getting seven or eight yards, but you could have had 15. And those are some of the things that you, you know, you wonder about. But that's more on Carson. And that, I just wonder, Logan, if that's just not part of his game. And that's something you're going to have to live with and build a work around that. It's okay, listen, if you go get seven or eight. And there's sometimes you say, like, all right, on this play, you looked at this guy. If you stay with him another half second longer, it's a 20-yard gain. But you got 10 because you went over here. And it's the old Peyton Manning. You never go broke taking a profit. All right, right, so you got moved it. But, you know, so as some of those things you're going to live with, but then how can you maximize this guy? Because there is a lot of talent there, and there's a lot of, I think there's a definite amount of potential with this offense. Yeah, it's really interesting you bring that up. And, and one of the things that stuck out to me, and you already alluded to this, was just how, so this two, two plays come to mind. One, they had a choice route. The back's running a, a free release choice. He can break off the linebacker either way. That is his read 100% of the time, and the back makes a, a misread. It makes the wrong choice. And so you see Carson 
pull it down, and that play is designed to go there. It's a five-step drop. The timing isn't such that I can go here and then go here, that the concept doesn't work that way, right? I got to make my decision pre-snap what I want to do. So then he gets flush, and you know, if I'm watching that on the on the TV copy, I right. say, man, what's Carson doing? He's, but that's, right. to me, that's on the back, right? And making sure you have people that can do that. And here they have someone who can do that the into McKissick, right? The other one was they were running like a deep crossing concept, and the back, because the rush was so bad, was supposed to be on a free release and got picked by the three technique, who was Aaron Donald, and couldn't get out in the route. So they matched the concept really well in the back right. end, and the back's not in the flat. And so I'm, I'm watching Carson like, the I ball's yeah. got to be out. He feels it. You can see he feels it. He's yeah. looking for the back, but it's not there. And so, yes, giving him those options, I think, alleviates some of that. Because one of the things, when you watch the Colts offense, for example, I felt like they didn't do a great job of giving a him thousand percent outlets, agree. giving him solutions, giving him... That's one thing Kyle always used to say. I want the... I want the quarterback yep. to have answers. And can Scott do that? I don't know. Because, again, when you compare that to an offense like Dallas last year that had a whole bunch of playmakers in that offense, you say to yourself, Dak, he would go to his first read on the choice and the ball's out in timing. He would throw the, the, the comeback without even looking because he knew the guy was going to win. And having those resources at your disposal makes you a better football player. It elevates your ability. And I look at this offense and I say, with Terry, Terry McLaurin's vertical speed and his nuanced route running, with what Jahan's shown during OTAs, with what Curtis Samuel's shown from a playmaking standpoint underneath, McKissick, Gibson, Logan Thomas, Cole Turner has shown flashes during OTAs. Obviously, still a lot of growth needs to happen there. But the weapons are deep. And they can right. win in one-on-one situations, which is what the modern NFL is. And I, and I think it solves, it can, it can, just from a personnel standpoint, alleviate some of these issues that he's shown. Yeah, and that should help eliminate some of the variance in his game because that floor becomes a lot higher. Yeah, and I think the other thing, to Logan's point too, and the other thing you see, again, this is just on-field evaluation, right? And I think there are going to be more guys here that he can trust where they're going to be when. And that makes a huge difference. It's not just Terry. I think Jahan is a really good route runner. Um, I think JD is a terrific route runner. Logan Thomas is a guy you can trust, not just because of route running, because he's going to compete for that ball. And he's going to wall a guy off. And it may not be a huge opening, but you can trust Mm -hmm. and you can throw it here because of who it is. And I think that will will help any quarterback. Um, So, and, and is it enough? I don't know. I mean, and again... We talk about Logan, or talk about Carson Wentz like he just can't play. He can play. The question with Carson Wentz is: To what level will he play? Yeah. And is it good enough? You know, is it good enough to get this team to where they want to go? But he can play. He's a starter in this league. It's just a matter of what level do you? What level can he get to at this point? And why might like why might it happen here? And I and I think that's to me an ultra interesting thing, right? Because the elite guys, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, they elevate the group around them. But if you're in that middle tier, right, which Carson could right. potentially be, he's been at the bottom, he's been at the top, so I'm going to give him the middle tier. You need people around you to do that. You need the coordinator. You need everybody to help you do that. And I think that's what the big question mark is, like you said, is is that enough to make him confident enough to be in that middle tier consistently? Because if he is in that middle tier, yeah. I think this team's going to be okay. It's just about has, has the staff – has the, has the personnel groupings, does that support him enough? Yeah, and the question with Wentz, too, isn't so much, is he a starting quarterback? It's like, is he the answer here as a starting quarterback for the long term? 
You know, I think for, you know, you saw, I mean, the numbers were what they were in Indy. There were a number of other issues. Um, it wasn't all on him. He did. He could have played, he definitely could have played better late. But, um, you know, so the question with him is as much, is he the answer at quarterback or are they going to be in a position in a year or two needing to find someone else? Yeah, that's a great point as well. All right, if you want more from John, uh, John Kime Report is anywhere you get your podcasts. You can, of course, read him on ESPN.com. He'll also occasionally pop up on your television, which is a delight. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Kime. Uh, John, thanks so much for doing this. Always appreciate your perspective uh, and uh, look forward to our all 20. Now, I, I decided at some point during one of your answers that we're just going to have a group text of film clips that go back and forth. So I look forward to that. That will be created soon. It, it is, that is like, and Logan knows I like doing that, so because I'll bother him with stuff all the time, but um, it's, <laughs> it's a fun part of the job because it's something as a reporter that I, it's important to know, like try to understand what it is that you're seeing, and you're not always, like the, the, the beauty about football that I love is that you don't always, you can see something, but you don't always know what you're seeing or why, and it's the why that is always the thing that drives should drive that drives me is that why did this happen and you know you may see it a certain way and then a a coach or someone else say yes but and you know that's what I like about having access to people who can answer that why and you know so there we go yeah yeah Logan's one of the the whole reason I do the podcast it's just so I get to ask Logan twice a week for 45 minutes. Oh, hey, Logan, so. why? Why? I'm that annoying eight-year-old. It's just like, why? 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 Uh, if you like to hear us asking why, subscribe. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Odyssey app, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you want more from us on social media, at Hoffman Show on Twitter for me, at Logan underscore Paulson 82 for Logan. Again, that's on Instagram. And as we just said, John, at John underscore time on all those social media platforms. John, thanks for doing this. Uh, Logan, we got Jordan Reed on Thursday. So that'll be a, a good time. We got, we got Jay Reed, uh, your yeah. former teammate, a guy that John and I spent a lot of time with covering over the years. So we'll see you guys Thursday for that. And that's it. And that's all for this edition of Take Command.